Our scripture reading is going to come from Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17, but we'll go ahead and read the entire chapter. So Colossians chapter 3, starting at verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with Him in glory. But to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Slaves, obey in everything. The owes those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, or the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have created a new redeemed humanity in which all the virtues and attributes of your own benevolence, of Christ's own character, are to be reflected in our lifestyle here and now. Father, help us as we look at our passage tonight to put on the new man with all of his virtues and graces and good works, knowing that we are reflecting that we are reflecting something far beyond just ourselves, but that we are communicating the reality that you are making all things new. We ask this, Father, in your Son's holy and perfect name. Amen. The good, the true, and the beautiful. 
the good, the true, and the beautiful. These are words that I heard constantly from the ages 18 to 22. The good, the true, and the beautiful. It comes from Plato. And this axiom is often used to summarize the major areas in the study of philosophy. The good, the true, and the beautiful. And by asking what is, the, what is true, what is the good, and what is the beautiful, philosophers have sought to answer the questions that all men everywhere have asked. The greatest questions in life. What is the good life? What beauty should we desire? And what truth should we follow? When it comes to the natural man, these questions are nigh impossible to answer. Coming to our passage tonight, Paul continues his exhortation to live according to the new heavenly realm. In Christ's death, the old man has been crucified, and so we are to put off the old man with all of his sins and practices. And in Christ's resurrection, we have received new life. We are the new humanity being renewed in Christ's image. Therefore, we are to put on the new man, Christ's man, with all of his virtues. The false teachers at Colossae were peddling an empty philosophy, an empty philosophy to, to all the questions that man asked about this life. And they offered an empty answer, a hollow answer. Likewise, many today are looking for answers that simply do not satisfy the soul. But hear this, brothers and sisters. Believers are to put on the new man because Christ's new creation, because Christ's new creation is the answer. In our passage tonight, Paul calls us to put on the new man because the love of Christ is beautiful, the peace of Christ is good, and the word of Christ is true. Let me, for that again, Paul calls us to put on the new man because the love of Christ is beautiful, the peace of Christ is good, and the word of Christ is true. So for our first point, put on the new man because the love of Christ is beautiful. In verses 12 to 14, our renewal in Christ is adorned by our beautiful love for one another. In verse 12, Paul carries over the clothing motif that we saw last week in verses 5 to 11. Just as believers are to put off Adam's old man with his vices, they are to put on Christ's new man with all of his virtues. Paul appeals for this command by highlighting our status in Christ. See there in verse 12, we are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Paul is actually echoing Deuteronomy 7 here. This is where Moses gives the law of Israel, uh, gives the law to Israel for how God's covenant people are to live. He says there, for you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. It was not because that you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping his oath. By alluding to Deuteronomy 7, Paul underscores the church's status as God's new covenant people. The church is true Israel, chosen and loved by God. 
And like Israel of old, the church is to be holy, for the Lord our God is holy. So as the new Adamic humanity, as the new Israel, as the new covenant church, believers put on the holy virtues of God. And in verse 12, we see five virtues. We see compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Throughout, these, throughout the Bible, really, these virtues are attributed to either God or Christ. Paul highlights God's benevolent attributes for us to adorn. God is, as we see there in Exodus 34, that God is merciful and gracious slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, and forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Likewise, we are to be compassionate, kind, and patient. And in His earthly ministry, Christ adorned Himself with meekness and humility, as we see there in Philippians 2. As those being renewed in Christ's image, believers must wear the same virtues that Christ Himself wore. We are to be a meek and humble people. In verse 13, we see how believers are to put on these virtues. It is by bearing with one another and forgiving one another. So brothers and sisters, hear this. These virtues, these attributes, these are no abstraction. These are real-world characteristics that you and I are to exemplify. They are plainly seen by the believer's relationship with others in the church. Notice that Paul assumes that there will be conflict among God's people if anyone has a complaint. Verse 13. But the proof that Christ's renewal is real is when our problems are solved in a Christ-like manner. As Paul says, we forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. Or as he says elsewhere, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. In verse 14, Paul presents the crown jewel of all these attributes, of all these virtues. Above all these, put on love. Using the clothing metaphor, the other virtues are tied together with the belts of love. The outfit of Christ's new man only comes together when love is put on and chastens everything together. Love makes the new man the perfect fit. It binds everything into perfect harmony. And I love how one commentator puts it. The virtues of verse 12 attain their full power only when they are unified by and empowered by love. So as God's renewed image bearers, as God's new covenant people, we must put on the love of God. To be holy as God is holy is to love as He has loved us. The false teachers offered an ascetic lifestyle that they thought was beautiful. They offered a life that they thought was attractive to the church who valued humility and meekness. But they offered false humility. You see, their beauty was of their own making. Their beauty had no power coming from above. And ultimately, their beauty was hollow. And nothing is new under the sun. 
this same hollow beauty tries to attract the church using distortions of our values today. Many wicked influences appeal to virtues that Christians cherish or should cherish, such as justice, equity, mercy, compassion, grace, love. And they can attract the church because the church ought to love the beauty of virtuous living. But at the end of the day, those influences will leave the church hollow because they have no sanctified substance to them. Unless God breathes renewal and life into those virtues, those virtues are just mere whitewash on tombs. But brothers and sisters, many believers today are falling for these false groups that pander to Christian virtues because they see none of these virtues in their own local churches. They read of how God's people are to reflect this meek and humble Christ, but they see only the synagogues of Satan. And this is a damning indictment upon local churches. We cannot lay all the blame on the culture or false teachers when we are the ones pushing believers away by our own ugliness. Far too often churches are guilty of pointing fingers at at those outside for low attendance or for their children not coming back to the church. But really, those churches should see how they have failed to reflect the beauty of God in Christ. The Lord continues to bring us new visitors, brothers and sisters. And we should not be surprised when a young couple or a family with kids come in from a church that left them scarred in deep ways. As believers, they seek to honor the Lord by coming back to the church, of going to some church. But they are going to be defensive of anything that looks like that ugly church. They may wrongly assume that our church is compromised by cultural sins and prejudices. That it's trapped in ugliness. And it is hard to move a soul from seeing the church through the lenses of past sin and past hurt and past ugliness. But here lies our great joy. When we, brothers and sisters, reflect the love of God and the heart of Christ to them, those who were hurt by that ugly church, we get to show true believers what they have been missing from the church all along. The beauty of Christ, and we all know this, the beauty of Christ has a way of softening the most hurt soul, the most hardened soul. And I cannot stress this enough. Our love for one another, as it reflects God's holy love for us, is one of the most powerful apologetics in the world right now. You see, today, people are not moved merely because something is true or that they think is right or is the right thing to do. They move towards something because it is beautiful. People are moved by beauty. And so, brothers and sisters, to the eyes of faith, no matter matter how marred they are by the sins of others, God's new creation 
shimmers with a beauty that is indescribable. It is a beauty that is indescribable. And brothers and sisters, if we be in Christ, and if we reflect the love of God, you reflect that indescribable beauty. It's so beautiful because it shows us the holy love of God for sinners. So your love, brothers and sisters, I will say it again as I said last week, your love for one another is no small thing. It is not. It is of profound worth. Your love shows that the ugliness of sin is not all that there is. Your love proclaims that God's new creation is the answer to all man's past ugliness. So put on the new man with love. With love. This beauty reflects the beauty of our beautiful God. And it's so beautiful that it draws men back from looking at the despair of feeling the despair of the ugliness of sin. That is how powerful your love for one another is. So brothers and sisters, put on the new man with all of its virtues and graces, and above all these, put on love. So then, since the love of Christ is real, since the love of Christ is beautiful, The beauty of Christian love will attract those souls longing for something more, of where they have not seen it yet before. And souls will find Christ's new creation beautiful because it is indeed very good. This brings us to our second point. Put on the new man because the peace of Christ is good. Put on the new man because the peace of Christ is good. In verse 15, the church's peace in Christ is the good life that all men need. Our entire passage tonight, verses 12 through 17, is a collection of commands to virtuous and godly living, all progressing on top of one another. So building off of love in verse 14, the virtues of peace come in verse 15. The peace of Christ is exhaustive here. Meaning the peace that Christ has secured in redemption is the peace that the church is called to live under. As we saw back in chapter 1, Christ has reconciled rebels back to God. Verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 20. God has established peace by the blood of his cross. In contrast to the false teachers, this peace is all we need for our communion with God. It is enough. And this peace with God should overflow and flavor our dealings with one another. Again, it's building off of that love. Notice that this peace is to rule or reign in our hearts. This this peace with one another is the goal when complaints arise within the life of the church. False teachers were about dividing along various lines, mainly between law-abiding Jews and all others. But such disunity of heart belongs to the old age. It belongs to Adam. It is the mark of Adam's curse. We should never be so puffed up as the false teachers to think that our differences and our beliefs is what really ought to distinguish God's people. No. That is just the old man's division reigning. 
But Christ's peace must be the king that we all orientate ourselves around. This peace is the mark that the new has come in Christ. And this peace is underscored by the next phrase, to which you have been called into one body. This is a clunky way of speaking, I must admit, but here's, here's the idea. The reason believers were called into one body is for the goal of facilitating this peace. In the old age, Jew and Gentile were separate peoples, separate bodies. Enmity and strife are natural to such division. But through his gospel, Christ calls and creates divided peoples into one new humanity, one holy body. And as one united people, peace is the only mark that reigns in Christ's church. It is through this one body, this one new man, that peace reigns. And lastly, this peace builds to thanksgiving. A life saturated by Christ's cosmic peace is a life that produces thanksgiving. Christ has made a new peaceful humanity whom God's countenance will shine upon forever. Thanksgiving is the only response to God's gospel of peace. And the imagery of the peace of Christ reigning, that imagery that we see there, is actually allusions to some very important texts from Isaiah. Text that you know from heart. As we know, Jesus is the messianic servant in Isaiah. In chapter 9, we get that wonderful prophecy that describes Christ as wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. As this ruler, Christ would establish a saving peace from his reign over the cosmos. And later, in Isaiah 52, the message of Christ and His kingdom is prophesied as going out to all the nations. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of Him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. The gospel message, brothers and sisters, is simply the Messiah calling and redeeming His people into His kingdom of peace. And this peace is more than just a ceasefire between God and man and between one people and another. This is key. Brothers and sisters, this peace that Christ establishes in His kingdom is more than just getting along. It is shalom. It is shalom. In the beginning, God created everything good. But Adam destroyed the harmony and peace of God's creation. But through this Christ, through this King, through this suffering servant, creation's shalom would be restored. Creation's peace would be reestablished. And so when God looks down upon Christ's church now, His redeemed new creation, what does He say? Oh, this is very good. Brothers and sisters, let me underscore it for you. Our gospel is cosmic in nature. Our gospel is cosmic in nature. It restores God's shalom in all of creation. And though God's peace will only be consummated in glory, we have the good news that can change lives now. Many people are looking for a good life. 
far too many are looking for the good life. They see the reality of Adam's curse. And though they don't have words to describe it, but they intuitively know that life should not be this cruel. Right? If you ask anyone down the street, they will say, yeah, life is rough. But by putting on the new man, we can show these souls who are looking for the good life. We can show these souls that this good life is found in the peace of Christ that he has established. That the good life is found in the message of Christ's gospel. Maybe you have a colleague at work or a close friend who sees the world spiraling. So many of your friends do. They realize that the world is not as it should be. War, famine, pestilence dominate our imagination and our news feeds. But how do you respond to his despair? Do you start nervously twitching with him? I sure hope not. Or do you put on the new man in Christ? Does the peace of Christ reign in your heart and the face of his chaos? The frantic soul longs for that peace that Christ has given you, dear brother and dear sister. So your duty is to share the peace of God's kingdom to come. Communion with God is what anchors the weary soul in this turbulent world. Eternal peace with God is the answer to the soul despairing of this life now. So put on the new man because Christ's peace, it is very good. Or maybe you know someone who sees all the division in our land. They see that there is no real solution. It's just the same repeating fights with everything dialed up to 11, right? They see the strife between various groups and they just sigh in desperation. I think we've all been there with them. Oh, this again. And sometimes, maybe along with them, we wonder, is this really all that life is? Is this really all that this life has to offer? Just constant desperation and despair? Constant infighting? But brothers and sisters, we have a good gospel. Praise be to God that this is not our life and that this is not our message. God is at work in His church to bring those at enmity to peace. If he can bring Jews and Gentiles together, he can surely deal with petty divisions of our day. For sure. What we have here in the church is truly captivating to far so many souls. We are the product of God's eschatological peace breaking into the old man's land of death and sin. For the soul who is sick and tired of being sick and tired... God's kingdom of peace, the church. Oh, brothers and sisters, this is where true rest is found right here because we have Christ, cosmic peace. Brothers and sisters, if there's just one point that I want you to take away, it's this. Our gospel is good news to this lost and dying world. Is your soul tired? Does sin frustrate you at every turn? Does evil seem so great that the good seems impossible? Then receive 
Christ's gospel of peace. In our sins, we have broken our communion with God. And our sins do not stop there. It affects all of our existence. In our rebellion from God's reign, our sin brings chaos and evil into our lives, spiraling out of control. In Adam, the curse brought destruction and division. Praise be to God that King Jesus has defeated sin and its curse. And he now calls sinners to find renewal and peace in him. He calls all men to turn from living under the reign of sin to live under his reign of cosmic peace. His eternal peace alone can satisfy that weary soul. It is this gospel that we have, that we have been entrusted with, that we have received from the very mouth of God, that we are to go forth into this world and give as rest to weary souls. Oh, brothers and sisters, for those who feel the pains of Adam's curse in this life, for those who know that this world is not as it should be, we have a king who can answer that problem. It's as the hymn goes, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive her king. Let no more let sins and sorrows groan, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. That is our gospel message, brothers and sisters. We have good news. Amen? All right. So then, moving on, the good news of Christ and his kingdom will restore peace through the cosmos and establish the good among his saints. This gospel seems too good to be true, but it is no fantasy. This brings us to our third point. Put on the new man because the word of Christ is true. In verses 16 and 17, The Scriptures present Christ as the truth resulting in God's worship. Paul continues his progression of commands that mark Christ's new creation. In verse 16, he calls the church to let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. And by the phrase Word of Christ, it it refers broadly to the content of the Gospel message. It is the message that the incarnate God came to die and rise again for the renewal of sinners. But notice how this word is to be received by the believer. It is to dwell richly in all wisdom. The false teachers taught with the appearance of wisdom, but it was empty deceit. But believers have Christ in whom the riches of the wisdom of God are hidden. These riches and wisdom of Christ fill us when Christ's gospel dwells in us. But see how the gospel will dwell in the church. It is through the teaching and admonishing of one another. Here's the idea. Every member of the church has the responsibility to ensure the gospel dwells in their brother and sister. It is how the church fulfills her common goal to mature in Christ. And Paul gives us what we disciple with. Psalms, hymns, and songs, meaning songs of the Spirit. This collection broadly refers to the Psalms of the Old Testament, 
And as we know, especially as we've been going through Sunday schools recently, the Psalms reveal the gospel of Christ quite plainly. By understanding Christ's gospel from the Scriptures, the Spirit of God would sanctify the church and counteract any errors from the false teachers. And so when we dwell upon the riches of Christ as revealed in Scripture, we have no need to follow hollow lies. Paul then shows the effect of knowing this truth, singing with thankfulness to God in your hearts. The result of being discipled in gospel truth produces worship for the gracious God who has revealed Himself and this gospel of peace. Paul builds to his final exhortation in verse 17, which summarizes all of verses 12 to 16, our entire passage. Whatever we do, whether it's putting on the beauty of Christian love, living in the good life of Christ's peace and gospel, or being discipled in gospel truth, Everything is to be done in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the Old Testament, God's name referred to His sovereign presence. And so here again, our redeemed life is under Christ's lordship and results in the worship of our gracious God. The false teachers were saying one needs visions of glory to worship God in heaven. And the church recognized that they were not yet in glory But Paul says the riches of glory, Christ has come to dwell in us. And he does that through his word and spirit. The wisdom and riches of Christ, meaning the truths of the gospel, are hid in the scriptures and the spirit of God reveals them to us. It's as Paul says in Corinthians, these things, the gospel, God has revealed to us through the spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So when Christ and His gospel are opened up in His word, When we see Christ in the Word, the depths of God are revealed to us. Let me say that again. When we see Christ in the Scriptures, the depths of the infinite God are open to us. Brothers and sisters, the natural man cannot understand spiritual realities. When they open the Scriptures, a veil lies over their hearts. So the truth is for those that that God has revealed it to. It is for His new creation. It is for you and I, the church. The Scripture is for us so that we might grow in full maturity in Christ. That we would be comforted by its promises. That we might tremble at its warnings. That we would be encouraged by the hope laid up for us. And the scripture is given to us that we might remember the truth that we are recipients of Christ's new creation. So we are to put on the new man and to remember the calling, gospel truth, the Christ. In our Christian walk, we will be tempted to leave this central truth. To wander from Christ for something else that we desire. 
And this is one reason why, brothers and sisters, why we need one another with open Bible pushing us back to the center of the truths of the gospel. The truths of the faith. We need one another to teach and admonish us to savor Christ Jesus. To remember the gospel we profess. That Jesus is king. We need this because often we doubt the goodness and beauty of this gospel, do we not? We may not not put it as strongly as this, but I think you all know what I mean, will mean. After coming to faith in Christ and living the faith for for some many years and even decades for others, you might begin to wonder if it's worth it. You see the suffering that goes along with the faith. You see how your old friends no longer speak to you because your faith has broken that tie. You see your family members not understanding your decisions to raise your family in a certain way, in a godly manner. And you may even see persecution in the days ahead, brothers and sisters. Even among the church, we can begin to wonder if it's worth it. You see beloved families leave to become missionaries. Never to see them again. Or you may have to leave loved ones behind for a time of study, for seminary, or for ministry. You miss out on your family. You don't see your nieces and nephews grow up as you had always dreamed. And when you begin to count the cost of all these things that you lose... You ask yourself, is it worth it? Is this really all that beautiful? Is this really all that good? Is being this devoted worth it? Brothers and sisters, allow me to get personal. Part of me does not want to leave for Portugal. I love my life here. I grew up here. This is my home. My entire life has been been lived in central Mississippi. I love this church and my friends here. I like you guys. And to be quite honest, Mary and I have been discouraged at times about our decision to go. All theirs don't need us, right? They could find someone better, right? I'm sure of it. But this past week, as we were dealing with some doubts and frustrations, our family read and family worshipped Daniel 7. It is a vision of the Son of Man receiving an eternal kingdom that will conquer all other kingdoms of this world. And as we know, this is the redemptive kingdom of Christ that the church is called to proclaim. By reading this passage of Scripture, I was snapped out of my fantasies and my desires. And I was reminded of the very words that we heard this morning. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Brothers and sisters, this is why we need the Word 
and spirit. This is why we need God himself to truly remind us that he alone is king, not us, not our desires, not even our wishes. We need God himself to open the word and unveil our hearts to remember that King Jesus is indeed worth it. We need God to yell at us from his word. And brothers and sisters, we need one another as the holy band of brothers in Christ to say to one another, it is worth it. Follow King Jesus. So then, to conclude... Christ's new creation is the answer to man's questions of this world. The beauty that we should desire is the love that God has revealed in His church. The good life in a world of chaos is found only in Christ's gospel and the kingdom that He has established. And the truth that we should follow is that Jesus Christ is the sovereign King over our life, even when we begin to doubt it. So, brothers and sisters... I repeat again, it indeed is worth it. Come to Christ and worship Him now. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You that You are a God who captivates our hearts and that You discipline us with the truth. And Father, help us. We pray that You would discipline us uh, through the mere bringing of friends together to look at the Scriptures, to see that we, what we are called to that we would indeed look at your revealed will and how we are to live and the commands that you have placed upon us as your new creation. Father, we do pray that our Christian gospel, the gospel of Christ's cosmic peace, would be the answer. Indeed, it is the only answer to the waywardness and the fallenness of this dreadful world in which so many live under. Father, help us to be bold to present such love and to present our peace here as what is truly uh, what this world needs. And finally, Father, may you present to those who are maybe hurt by the things and recent events about the church, that you would see here at Grace a body that loves one another, and that those who are truly of you, that they would see our love for one another, and they would see that we belong to not ourselves, or we reflect merely ourselves, but that we reflect the infinite worth of God and His love towards sinners. Oh, Father, help us to be a beautiful people. Help us to live a good life and help us to follow Your truth no matter the cost. We ask this, O oh Father, in Your Son's holy and perfect name. Amen.